0: Thank you so much for listening to Urbanistica Podcast. I am Mustafa Sharif, an urban planner, and you're more than welcome to join my big journey of exploring the making of smarter and more livable cities. Please don't forget to follow Urbanistica on the different social media platforms, and also Let's Connect on LinkedIn. Big thanks to Urbanistica Podcast partner, AFRI. AFRI is an international engineering and design company providing sustainable solutions in the fields of energy, industry and infrastructure are you ready for a new episode let's go for it episode, and we have an amazing storyteller. I have the pleasure to welcome you, Amanda, to Urbanistica Podcast. Hello and welcome.
1: Thank you so much, Mustafa. I'm so excited to be here.
0: Finally, we managed to book a time. (laughs) Yes. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing really well. I'm doing really well. It's early morning here in Toronto, and I got to walk uh, to the office when the streets were really quiet. Uh, mm. And it was a lovely, a lovely walk into the office today.
0: Amazing. How is it going now? Is there a lot of like project uh, activities to do, or?
1: Yeah, we have a lot of, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, projects going on. Um, similar to, I think, uh, how many folks are transitioning coming out of the pandemic, yeah, where there's a lot more interest in doing on the ground, place-based projects and mm. community engagement. Which is great because I love that stuff. I love meeting new people. I love being um, face-to-face with folks, yeah. Uh, yeah. making eye contact, not just through a screen. <laughs> that's, so uh, that's what really motivates me. And so, yeah, it's been, it's been busy, but a good busy. We're, we're happy to be back on the ground doing, doing things. Yeah.
0: So Amanda, let's start with you. You are our storyteller. How would you like to introduce yourself to our listener?
1: Oh, uh, what a great question. Uh, I am Amanda O'Rourke. I am the executive director of 880 Cities, which is a nonprofit organization based in Toronto. Uh, and I'm a mother and an urban planner. Uh, and I think another word I would use to describe myself
2: is an eternal optimist.
0: Mm-hmm. Tell us more about your passion.
2: Well, I'm really
1: passionate about cities, uh which uh is a good thing because of the work I do uh <laughs> in the title of 880 cities. Yeah. Um I'm really passionate about sustainability. Uh I started sort of in my really early days interested in uh climate activism and social justice activism. And so uh I'm very lucky that I get to do the work that I do. Um Combining these interests in sustainability and yeah. um, quality of life and and equity. So um, yeah, I have a lot of passions. I'm also really passionate about coffee and food. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and a specific type of food, like from a specific country or region or anything.
1: <laughs> all of it. All different kinds of food, but I do really love um, highly spiced food.
2: Um ah, really. Lover of oh. spicy spicy food
0: cool so amanda like uh, give us a background how about the 880 cities and how did you like became the executive director so how was like the two stories come together
1: yeah it's great uh the 880 cities was founded by gil Peñalosa. and so For listeners who might not know who Gil is, uh, Gil started his city building career in the late 1990s in Bogota, in Colombia, where he was Parks Commissioner. Mm. And he led a very impressive, uh, along with many others, of course, uh, led a really impressive transformation of public spaces and sustainable mobility in the city at that time. Yeah. And later when he uh, immigrated to Canada, he moved to Canada. Um, And he was inspired, I think, by this work that he did in Bogota, uh, you know, how public space could be a driver for improving social equity. Mm. And that is really the spark of how ADD Cities was founded back Mm. in 2005 um and in 2000 so it was really just a an organization on paper and it was actually called walk and bike for life uh at the very beginning
3: yeah
1: uh and then i met gill in 2007 sort of fresh uh out of um, my master's degree in university uh we clicked really well uh have since then uh you know working together for 17 years and uh you know i started as a as a project manager, uh, and just started doing work on sort of trying to change the conversation on the importance of walkability mm-hmm. and cycling and public space uh, and really trying to elevate the conversation. And I was together, we uh, rebranded. Um, I really thought that Walk and Bike for Life was not really... Mm. Uh, what we were about and we came up with this concept of 880 cities which uh, basically the idea is that if you build a city that's great for an eight-year-old and an eight-year-old you build a better city for everyone Mm. so we really wanted this concept Um, we thought that this concept really articulated better our our focus as an organization which is not just about walking and cycling in public space it's really about what kind of cities we want and yeah. who are our cities for and who are our cities serving and who's not and who's being left behind
0: mm, interesting and uh, like the this, this uh, strategy or concept uh, about 880 is it like uh, is it just like a kind of concept or, or no it's like a more proven that uh, if you would plan and design a city for an eight years old that will function for an 80 years old person. Can you, yeah. can you give us some like <laughs> examples?
1: Sure yeah it's really kind of like a guiding concept uh, mm. to sort of get us started in framing a conversation um, about city building So you know we think it's a simple but powerful idea that can really um, I think is quite accessible to folks who maybe are not would not. Self-identify as an urbanist or as a city uh, planner or as someone who's interested in urban issues or placemaking, Um, but it's it's a way, it's an entry point, um, and we think it's quite an effective entry point to sort of broaden thinking about um, about city building. And you know, the reason that the eight and eighty we we chose that is that. We have been really planning our cities, thinking a lot more about uh, moving cars, especially in, in North America, and less yeah. about the health and happiness of people at the core. And when you think of the eight-year-old and the eight-year-old sort of navigating the city, um, we know that this very car-centric planning paradigm has had a Mm. disproportionately negative impact on children and older adults and their right to be mobile in the city to move through space their right to public space to be you know uh, safe and comfortable in public space and also the right to to participate and then i think you know as as we've worked the the concept has evolved. You know aging is a universal human experience. We can all yeah. think of an eight year old and an eight year old mm. but we of course also acknowledge and understand that um your race, your gender, yeah. your social location um these all intersect mm. uh and impact how how we navigate public space and how we navigate our our cities so it's the eight eighty plus um, yeah. but I think the eight eighty really is um a universally people can kind of get it right away, and yeah, that's like yeah. our, our in and once we get people there, we can have these bigger conversations
0: exactly the next uh, step so yep. so like it's not something like really, really specific. you more wants to refer like to the children or newly kids and then the elderly group of people like to compare between them, so it doesn't matter like if I say seven seventy maybe. <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly, exactly. People more, often yeah. ask, Amanda, hey what about the 90-year-olds? What about the three-month-olds? <laughs> of course. Yeah, yeah we want like... a city for everyone. <laughs> um, The eight eighties is just catchy. Uh, e- and, yeah, exactly. Uh, it's easy it's also an to opening. say.
0: Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. So um, so tell me, like, how big is the organization in terms of uh, people working in the team?
1: Yeah, we are a small but mighty team. Uh, we are basically eight full-time staff. Uh and eight. Yeah. (laughs) Not on purpose. Yeah. We've often fluctuated between (laughs) eight and ten, sometimes getting as big as, you know, fifteen for certain projects. But you know, generally uh we've stayed small over the Mm seventeen years, but that's been very intentional. Uh, because uh we do a lot of our work through partnerships. And so when and I imagine uh, similar to you when you're working in communities um yeah. you know we rely very much on doing work through local partnerships yeah um both on the very hyper local level mm. but also we do partnerships with big international organizations like the WHO or I- icly in terms of like more broadly disseminating or communication yeah. so we just we like being small we like it that way um mm. we think that we're more effective and it it uh, it works better with our approach uh, in terms of collaboration and partnership.
0: Yeah. And and uh, the eight people you have in the team now, what what kind of uh, expertise they have? Are they like uh, planners, uh, architects?
1: Yeah, we have a mix. Uh, urban planners, uh, communication specialists, mm-hmm. um, folks uh, who've done sort of urban studies or community development, um, some with urban design background, um uh, a real mix. I do think that there's a quite a, um, and we've had, um, designers and architects come, uh, as well through our team. So, uh, usually it's someone with some of the, um, I think what, what unites us is often like this really interest in spatial planning and public space. Yeah. Um, but different, entryways into mm. into how people um sort of support our approach, which is very much through community-led, yeah. um, place-based efforts.
0: Mm. Amanda, tell tell us more, like the, give us some inspiration from project you work with. Like give us uh, examples of project you work with.
2: Sure. Yeah.
1: Um we've done a lot of sort of uh place-based transformations and activations. So we work on very really, um you know we could transform uh an underused laneway into a vibrant public space with Mm. art and a night market we just did that here uh last summer coming out of covid uh with a city close uh to toronto and brampton uh that was a really great project that we got to work with artists to transform the the laneway in terms of like a wonderful mural but also through activations uh, through community partnerships. So partnering with the Alzheimer's society and uh, artists to do activations. We had, we heard um, from uh, community members, and it's always uh, an engaged approach that we take um, that, you know, downtown Brampton is a very diverse city, but uh, a lot of uh, folks um, from the South Asian community and from the Black community really articulated that it felt very much like a white space. It didn't feel uh, like a space that mm-hmm. represented their cultural uh, identity. And so one of the things that we piloted was a night market. It was very successful. Um, so this this is a great example of how we work in terms of uh, we bring together the local businesses uh, so there's a business improvement district or business improvement association, as well as a municipality. Um, mm. And we worked with them uh, on a program to transform the laneway. We measured uh, the uh, sort of public activity in the laneway beforehand and during the uh, activation. Yeah. Um, we we talked to folks about so how they felt in the space before and during the activation, and then that uh, program and report um, that we just completed is is basically going to help guide future investment in placemaking in the downtown. Yeah. So that's one example. We've done lots of projects like that, but that's a really relevant one um, mm. that we just finished. But we do a lot of um, these sort of tactical, action-oriented mm. projects, and taking action is in our mind one of the highest forms of engagement so we can talk but there has to be a certain point where you're going to do something
0: actions exactly but like this this project that you mentioned now who was the client who reached out to you
1: yeah uh this was uh the federal government uh of canada issued actually uh which is the first time they've ever done that from my understanding. Mm. And it was part of a COVID recovery package and part of um, an economic development um, from the uh, economic development perspective. Downtowns really suffered during COVID. Yeah. Um, and uh, they, they released some funding for mm. uh, partnerships like the ones that we uh, initiated uh, with the BIA and the city to activate the downtown and bring uh, public life back into the downtown. So we led the development of the proposal, uh, Mm. brought in the partners um, and the community partnerships and basically project managed um, uh, that piece so that there wasn't a client per se, but although we do work like that sometimes directly Mm. with municipalities, this was actually a a funding opportunity um, that we were able to jump on.
0: And Amanda, tell me, you work a lot with with partnerships and so on. What are, let's say, like le- the three factors that make a partnership really successful and contribute to impact?
1: Oh, that's such a good question. Because um, we hear a lot, you know, like
0: collaboration yeah. and partnering and so on. Sometimes, as you mentioned now, like it's a lot of talking. Uh, but like <laughs> if you can give us more like something solid that we can maybe work on when we do partnerships.
2: Yeah uh i think that one of um one of the things
1: that i've learned a lot through developing partnerships is that you really need to build in time for um mapping out really clear roles and responsibilities it sounds really boring
3: <laughs> no but it's us. really
1: important <laughs> um <clears throat> at the front uh end of a project uh so this Brampton one as a a case example, Um, you know, there was this funding opportunity and, you know, the business improvement area was really interested in in, in, uh, doing a project, so was the municipality, uh, and it just made sense. They wanted to do a lot of sort of live music um, uh, programming, and we wanted to also work on the laneway. And ultimately, through a lot of conversations at the mm. beginning about whether we would do two different proposals or we would do one big um, one, um, you know, we had a really clear understanding that the broader goal was the same. That there was a real need to activate the downtown, yeah. sort of provide some fun social opportunities for people um, to come out and be mm. um outside and 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 visit the downtown meet each other and um i think ultimately it's about those uh at those conversations at the beginning understanding what that big goal is and how each of the the partners can help work together mm-hmm. on on having even a bigger impact uh because ultimately you know from the public's point of view the person experiencing the you know, activation or the program yeah, yeah. um they don't care if it's 880 no, cities no, or the BIA exactly. or the city.
3: Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> they just
1: know it's a cool public space and they want to be a part yeah. of it. This is so. this is
0: the 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 how, how to say it, one of the biggest problems that I see. Like people care so much about like uh, the name of section or organization or the team, but actually. People there just for the experience. They don't really care about like which yeah. section or manager or or division or organization is behind this. Like, you know, they don't really focus on this.
2: Exactly.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I think if you start to take yourself and your organizational, like we have an organizational mission. Um, yeah. Obviously, this connected to our mission, so it made sense. But uh, ultimately, it's in service to. Uh, the public and a mm. public good and these bigger goals around sustainable, healthy, equitable cities, then it becomes kind of like a no brainer that partnership um, is needed. It's not mm. just a good thing. It's you can't really do it well without it. Um, and yeah. I think that is an important sort of mindset to go mm. into um, any of these sort of placemaking um uh processes is that yeah. you know it's not it, it's putting egos aside a bit and then just also saying this is not really about me or 880 this is about this broader broader goal and um it does take time and and um a lot of conversations and mm-hmm. and you know those sort of more boring things around partnership agreements like who's doing what <laughs> um but uh it also is a lot of flexibility and trust. And Mm -hmm. I think if you come in with this sort of authentic, um, desire to, and people can tell if you're coming in with an authentic desire to actually, uh, do something good in the community, um, then I think you're off to a really good start.
0: Yeah. How do you think that we can build more trust? Like even before we sign paper and contracts and so on, because usually with some organization, and like I feel that they try like to just protect themselves as much as possible and uh you know, like leaving zero space for building a trust and being a bit flexible and okay, let's do this together, you know we are on the same side. it's like a lot of like they already creating a kind of gap or conflict or you know like this space between themselves and other partners
2: yeah, I mean, I think um. Trust, in my
1: experience, is built through action and doing things and showing up, like really showing up um and and um there is always i think, at the beginning of a process a bit of a leap of faith um and and trust is something that's sort of earned over time um, but uh, if you're will if you're able to get sort of that leap of faith at the beginning. Um, through a a pretty clear vision on where you want to go then you can build that trust through actually really following through Um, I mean it sounds really cliche but it it, honestly I have not seen how Mm. you can build trust without actually taking action Mm. Um, and actually I've seen the exact opposite happen where trust is even further eroded when there's a lot of um, talking or even like um you know, engagement without follow through. And that is basically, you know, I think communities are very forgiving if you follow through and you miss the mark a bit, um, then uh, less forgiving than if you don't follow through at all, or there's no sort of follow up. Um, so I am of the mind that you got to follow through. It might not be perfect. It might not even be exactly what, um, the community wants but taking action and taking a more sort of iterative approach is how we're going to learn how to sort of build these new mm. collaborative infrastructures in a way these new yeah. these new relationships that are needed
0: do you feel that uh, building a relationship and partnership with a small organization easier than big organizations? or how is your experience or not really there is nothing like you don't see a pattern
1: I think sometimes, um, so municipalities, in my experience, and cities are not always built um, in a way, or their systems are not built in a way that really facilitate partnership and collaboration. So that's been my experience. So there's a little bit of like,
3: <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> pulling along. Um <laughs> But ultimately, I do think it comes down to the people, like building relationship. It's very relational and very yeah. interpersonal in my experience. Like if you um, meet, it comes down to the actual project, core project team. Do they trust each other, even if they're coming from different um, organizations, if one's like a city planner and another one's a business improvement executive director and another is like a placemaking um. Uh, consultant, I think it really ultimately comes down to that core team, really trusting each other and feeling uh, Mm -hmm. aligned. And, and it becomes, then you start to, you start to uh, break away from these bigger institutional challenges that inevitably are there. They're always there. I mean, that, that's why often uh, city departments are created to regulate Mm -hmm. and keep people safe. Uh, they're not always um created to to foster facilitation and collaboration, but there's ways around it. And I think ultimately getting champions inside mm. those departments has what has been effective for us to to do the kinds of transformative projects yeah. that we've done.
0: Mm. And like for this kind of project, you don't go like with focus on eight eighty, like I know you 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 go with a focus on making cities for all people. But it's not like you drive an, an agenda that okay we should only focus on children and uh, seniors.
1: Absolutely, uh, we always, as part of our uh, work approach and our sort of commitment to equity, any of our projects, it's absolutely we work, we engage with children and older adults okay, as sorry. like a standard. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then in addition to that, uh, we you know sort of do the mm-hmm. the mapping of assets and the um uh that kind of context assessment of what are the other um uh, priority groups or targeted groups um that are currently underrepresented or not um uh currently sort of engaged in these kinds of uh placemaking projects and who, who has sort of the potentially most to gain uh who is being left out. So again, we start always with the 880. But then, really think about yeah. this broader context of um who else is not being um really served uh through this process, so it could yeah. be youth, it could be adolescents. um as I mentioned with Brampton, it was uh specific cultural communities um you know uh we've engaged with people uh with disabilities um with Brampton, there was a real interest in um because of the aging population as well around dementia friendly spaces, so how can design actually Uh, The design, even of the temporary installation, um, Mm. demonstrate uh, principles that that support um, dementia-friendly spaces, Mm. age-friendly spaces.
0: Yeah. Do you, uh, Amanda, do you work in projects now or no, you're just like leading the organization?
1: Oh, I would love to jump in on projects when I can. I can't help it. (laughs) But um, no, I mean, I as uh, executive director, I have a lot of sort of uh, responsibilities of um you know we're a small team but still there's things like hr and finance Mm. and reporting to my board and um some of the external relations and being a a spokesperson like i am today uh but i do really like to stay close to the work i think it makes me better at my job so i will jump in and you know for brampton i was on the weekend uh painting and the heat (laughs) the the mural and uh you know i I get a lot out of talking to people and and um Mm. i love seeing people sort of experience in the space especially while we're transforming it or even after transformation Mm. Uh, i love those moments where people sort of stop and take a look and go Oh, what's going on here? <laughs> like, what is this about? Yeah, exactly. Oh, isn't that interesting? Mm. Uh, tell me more. So, and anyway, I I do like jumping in on projects, but I I um, we have wonderful project managers that really lead, and they are yeah. the the stars of, of those wonderful projects. So, Gia Benny was the the PM on the Brampton project, and she did a wonderful job. Mm. I just shout jumped out, in yeah,
0: shout out to the team. I think it's very important that, like, let's say. People in the leading positions stay in in touch with some project, you know, even if not not like 100% of their time, but at least like from time to time, just to be uh, in touch with what's happening on the ground and not like uh, start to fly away and getting into visions and concepts and they're not really in touch with the reality. So it's really good that you're telling you're also like taking some part of project like from time to time.
2: Yeah, I like it. I mean, and also we're a small
1: team. So, you know, if someone is like uh, sick or, you know, something happens yeah. or they can't do it, you know, we all it's all hands on deck um, for anything. Um, anyone who's worked in a nonprofit before. Mm-hmm. Um, it's quite. um Everybody does a little bit of everything, yeah, from yeah. picking up the coffee and donuts to <laughs> to actually thinking through the design elements. Yeah. you know, to managing budgets. It's I think that that's what makes this work exciting and fun. Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, so this is the one type of projects that you do in eight eighty cities. and you have you have also like other kind of what is it called activities like the resource hub.
2: Yes yeah we have a lot of so
1: there's um a number of different ways that we work um with with cities and to achieve our our or advance i should say our mission of of igniting action in cities um so a lot of it is producing sort of uh resources and toolkits uh and one of the things I think has been wonderful about working with eight eighty cities. Uh, and leading this organization is is providing um, thought leadership on some pressing issues Mm. so we do um, we have a lot of open access resources on our website anyone can check it out around you know uh, innovative engagement or what we call unconventional engagement how to engage in a different way in a more playful way Uh, you know not just the public consultation that you know asks people to come to a meeting at city hall you know mm-hmm. what are some some innovative ways to engage more diverse members of the community in city building because i think that that's such an important uh, aspect of of being able to to improve our cities um so there's open source resources we've done uh, thought leadership in terms of, um, addressing, uh, homelessness in parks. Uh, we've done, uh, creating parks and public spaces for all ages, uh, documents on winter placemaking. Uh, you know, we, we did a a document on winter placemaking and, uh, realized there wasn't really even a definition about winter Mm. placemaking, uh, and the unique conditions of, of, um, you know how winter can be an asset uh to be leveraged uh from a placemaking perspective uh so yeah we do a lot of this sort of um uh, thought leadership and and uh, open source resources so that folks from anywhere uh yeah. can can find it and and start initiating some of these conversations and and use some of the inspiration from the case studies
0: mm, really interesting and I, I i love uh like i started to read uh, because before I didn't know, like it's, they were open source. So now I started like slowly, slowly to take part of different, uh, uh reports you publish, but tell me who is financing this kind of activity.
2: Yeah.
1: So, uh, it comes from a lot of different places. Mm-hmm. So, um, the work that we did on winter placemaking and addressing homelessness and parks and the parks and public spaces guide was funded through a wonderful partnership with AARP which is a U.S.-based organization. Um, they've uh, Their members are uh, folks aged 55 plus, uh, wow. and it's a huge sort of member-based organization, but they have a whole um, unit uh, focused on livable communities and, yeah. and age-friendly communities. Uh, so we've had a wonderful collaboration with them over the last six years where we're producing some of these open source documents. We just did one on community gardens, yeah, uh, which yeah. we're really excited Amazing. about. Uh, and we also provide technical assistance. So um the each of the state offices across the US um uh can uh connect with us around if they're doing a uh placemaking project and they need some support. So yeah that's a bit of a, a partnership on some of the thought leadership but then we also provide mm-hmm. consulting services um through that partnership. Uh we've received grants from, you know, foundations like many other nonprofits uh, yeah. for some of our larger programs or or um multi year um multi year programs. Um we also receive funding through like direct service to okay. municipalities. Yeah. So we can be like advisors and mm-hmm. and we get funding that way as well.
2: Is it e-
0: is it easy to get funding from uh I, do you call it not the donation from like foundations uh is it easy to like let's say if I create an organization also working with cities and making cities for people uh is it easy for me to get to finance this or no I also need to do some kind of application and it's not like guaranteed that I will get money
1: Yeah in my experience it's never easy it's a lot of it's a lot of work <laughs> um uh foundations we've had wonderful partnerships with um foundations uh both in the u.s and canada but Mm -hmm. it's quite a um it's a process it's usually an open call for applications there's a uh, an open competition Mm. uh and there's a lot of sort of follow-up and reporting requirements um which is why you know having a really strong also administrative team have a wonderful manager of finance who helps with all the financial pieces so it's you know it's not just project delivery it's you know things like performance metrics and uh budget reporting um Mm. to to make sure that uh you know not just the project is successful but we're we're um managing all the aspects of the operations very well
0: Hmm. so tell us um how do we create uh, spaces and cities for eight and eighties so what sh- what should yeah. we think about?
2: great question
1: um so we talk about uh the three rights, which helps like our our guiding our guideposts kind of mm-hmm. um for uh you know uh demonstrating what an eight eighty cities eight eighty city is um so it's really about reclaiming the right to the city for everyone Uh, and those three rights are the right to mobility so everyone should be able to um, move freely and comfortably in their city by walking or biking or using public transit and again we talk about walking biking and transit because that that connects to our our um, vision on sustainability Um, the first right is the right to mobility the second right is the right to public space. Everyone should feel safe and comfortable and have a great, not just a public space, a great, wonderful, mm-hmm. fantastic quality yeah. public space um, that they can you know, get uh, to in their neighborhood easily and where they can feel um, a sense of belonging and, and connection. So that's the second right. And the third right is the right to participate. Everyone should have the right to participate in city building processes that affect them. And that means um, how do we design our systems and our approaches and uh, a way that actually really invites and authentically invites uh, people to participate uh, in in, um, how their city will take shape. And that doesn't mean that everyone is going to participate in the same way. It could be even just by being present in the space mm. uh, is a kind of form of participation because placemaking is happening all the time. Yeah, we don't yeah. we don't dictate placemaking. <laughs> people are people are shaping space all the time, uh, and the more that people are um, mm. in public space and engaging in public space, we think that this is a really central part of of uh, advancing those sustainability, equity, and health goals mm. that we
2: have
0: yeah and through your work with different projects in, in the m- many years um what mistakes do we do as expert when we start like working with community engagement uh, processes or activities as a professional as you know when we go to communities
1: yeah i think um we often come with a lot of jargon uh, which <laughs> is not great we come with a lot of sort of technical pieces um you know i've been to a lot of uh public consultation meetings where you're looking at these very uh very technical drawings and you see (laughs) members (laughs) looking going what you know how do i interact (laughs) with this or it can be very intimidating (laughs) um Mm -hmm. which i understand like i i trained as an urban planner i have my master's in planning those drawings intimidate me too not everybody thinks in plan view as well like people um you know i that's partly why you know we are really trying to bring the drawing into real life through Mm -hmm. some of our tactical Mm -hmm. uh approaches because it's one thing for uh someone to give an opinion or engage with a concept uh on paper um and it can be very hard to sort of, uh, you're not really attached to it. It's almost yeah. like you're disembodied <laughs> from the <laughs> the the piece. But when you're in, you know, in the public space, if we're doing an open street where the street's yeah. open to people and closed to cars, and people can kind of look around and see what the street feels like without uh, motor vehicle traffic, yeah. that is much more an exciting piece of feedback that you get from folks even if they don't like it like it's like it's more connected they're like mm-hmm. in real time um telling you what they think about the the yeah. the program and the and the intervention mm. so i think yeah we often make the mistake of of asking asking questions in a very sort of disconnected way way um Uh, To folks who might not be, I mean, I'm thinking about placemaking all the time. I'm sure you are too. Most people are not, Uh, but if they're in the space and they are experiencing it, they can give you really great Mm -hmm. feedback Mm -hmm. on on what's working and what's not.
0: Do you you think that digital tools will help us getting closer or showing what we are imagining and so on? Because like usually even in Sweden, What I see is mostly like the traditional way of doing community engagement, like let's say images, printing images and uh, normal tools, like not so much digital, digital way of doing this. What do you think?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think there's,
1: um, there's merit in, in using virtual and using digital tools, but I think that we do a disservice by thinking that it can be replaced. By the in-person engagement and having real sort of dialogue, yeah uh, and and conversation and tangible experience in the space, so it's not a one to one. Like mm. I think it's useful and helpful. I think digital um, communications tools are amazing. A lot of our yeah. um, I think one of the things that we found to be really effective is to use like social media and and um some of these digital. Uh, platforms to share stories of impact and inspire Mm. um and sometimes even bring more people in uh to a process um but yeah i'm a real i'm old school i like i like the in-person
0: yeah meeting and talking and feeling the energy yeah yeah but i see you're focusing a lot on communication and also like I, I guess I, or I believe it's it's a strong part of what we do especially these long processes that we should communicate what we are doing
1: absolutely yeah I think that's a big part uh, where um, sometimes projects don't uh, succeed because of a failure of communication mm-hmm.
3: uh,
2: and I think uh, communication uh, from not just Saying what
1: you want to say, but mm. listening is a big part of communication I think we forget that uh active listening um and I think when we really listen, we're able to ask much better questions,
0: yeah, and now we are we are touched on uh, different topics like within uh, making cities for people so um if if we if I ask you this question, what skills? Should we as, uh, let's say, planners
2: or architects working with this kind of project uh, develop? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest skill needed right now um,
1: where there's, I think, a lot of um, grief of what we've just gone through with the pandemic Mm -hmm. uh, and it's often coming through as um, sometimes even aggression, I think we really need um, empathy <laughs> and focus on uh, trying to understand people and where they're coming from and their motivation, like a real interest in understanding.
2: Um, and
1: I think that that will help with a lot of these bigger conversations on the sort of future uh, around the climate transition, Mm. uh, around, you know, rising inequality, uh, around rising conflict and tension. Like, I think, I think there's a real need for empathy and listening. Again, I know it sounds cheesy, but (laughs) I do think ultimately um, most successful work that we've done has been through really good relationships with Mm. people um and i think people will show up in really exciting fantastic ways when they feel that sense of purpose and that sense of inspiration and that they are um and that they are understood their motivations are understood
0: Mm. and amanda how do we develop these skills what can we do like to be to get better do you have an advice for us <laughs>
2: uh,
1: practice listening i mean i think mm-hmm. one of the and this is very 880 one of the things that you could do and this is a really great starting point for anyone is really listen to children uh mm-hmm. and elders okay. have some conversations uh i think one of the beautiful things of doing engagement with children and elders is they will tell you exactly how okay. they feel
0: yeah without any filters and so
1: <laughs> yeah and so that is my uh yeah the challenge to everyone mm-hmm. is please mm-hmm. have some uh really good conversations listen uh to children's ideas uh and elders' ideas they have so much um to share and to contribute. Yeah. Uh and I think in a very capitalist focused society where we really don't think mm-hmm. um about the non-productive uh, members of society uh that starting there uh is a really great point a really great starting yeah. point to to building that empathy and that understanding mm-hmm. of of the future cities that we need.
0: That's so true, and if we go back to eight eighty what challenges do you face as an organization?
1: Oh, uh you know, I think it's the the usual ones of uh you know we're constantly you know looking for funding yeah uh, that's always you know mm-hmm. as e d that's a big part of my role is uh finding really uh mm-hmm. good funding and sustainable funding, so we have really great. It's very easy to find project funding um it's less uh easy to find sort of multi-year funding yeah. where you're yeah. able to just take some breathing room exactly. um, uh. and build some of the core so that's mm-hmm. always a challenge but one that i've i mean I've been here for five years as e d but been with the organization for seventeen years and we still are here uh yeah. even during the the pandemic where a big part of our our work just had to stop. So I feel like ah. we,
2: we're ready for the next challenge, yeah, whatever yeah. it
0: is. Yeah. And what what is the next step for 880s?
1: Yeah, we're going to continue really pushing uh, our mission to ignite action and challenge oh. the status quo uh, so that we can create healthier, more equitable and sustainable cities. Uh, that is we're going to constantly we are very comfortable being the disruptors and the sort of first <laughs> yeah Um. I think I said this in our our annual report for 2022 you know we often have this title of first ever school street first mm. ever yeah. open street first ever you know laneway transformation in the city Uh, we're really comfortable doing that and being like the 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 ones that are pushing uh yeah. new things forward and with innovation we know there's risks uh and uh we accept that and yeah. and so for us we're we're going to keep pushing and um we're very excited that the, the broader conversations on placemaking in equitable cities have really just been so strengthened um you know, by many different parties and partners. Mm -hmm. I feel like um, when we first started this work 17 years ago, um, the story that I shared, Gil and I, like it just, the level of the conversation was very Mm -hmm. different Yeah, Uh, and so we're excited about that. So we're going to keep really, really poking
2: Uh away at it.
0: Do you have like a dream? uh, What kind of a project that you want to do, like the first ever something? Is there any specific project that you want to do first ever?
1: Oh, man, we've done a few of them already. Um, I think, you know, one of the first ever that we did in Toronto was um, a complete street makeover with our our friends at Better Block, Mm -hmm. uh, where we transformed one block of a commercial corridor into an actual, like, complete street that really exemplified the city's Uh. Yeah. vision zero commitment mm-hmm. um and since then it's led to uh actual investment in yeah. uh better cycling infrastructure and um expanded pedestrian yeah. space um i would love to do more of those because it just had such uh you know if you can imagine it's one of the biggest commercial corridors in um i think north america the Stanforth. Uh, street and it was uh probably one of the most uh exhilarating and exhausting projects i've worked on um <laughs> and it took us it took us one year to get approval to do it uh it was Whoa. that much back and forth yeah. through municipal sort of process mm-hmm. but ultimately like i think stubbornness and a, a desireness <laughs> desire to just get it done um yeah one through uh and now it sort of created a model um, mm. where where there's a bit more interest in doing these kinds of um, pop-up demonstrations mm. and so yeah my I would love to do more of those and then the uh, the school streets which is basically you're familiar with those closing the street directly yeah. in front of schools yeah um we did the first ever in 2019 uh, in Toronto Uh and uh since then we've had like four or five municipalities really take the concept and run with it um so my big big vision uh because of that 880 um Mm. uh mindset is that you know cars in front of schools will really just not be something that people accept anymore like it just doesn't make sense from a uh, health and um, safety of children mm-hmm. and caregivers from eight to eighty uh, yeah. and beyond.
0: So, uh, so you didn't answer my question exactly. Like, what is your next first ever? You should do something like completely new because of what you mentioned, you already <laughs> did. So, right. tell me more,
1: more of that. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, something,
0: something <laughs> like first ever. You know, <laughs> something first- new yeah
1: first ever um open street in North America that's more than um fifteen kilometers that would okay. be great' too. Yeah. <laughs> Cause in North America we've had a real challenge of opening the streets um mm. uh, like the the Bogota model, the ciclovia yeah. which we've we've been and in Guadalajara they have a great program as well, and we've tried to bring it to North America uh with mixed success. Yeah. Um and it's usually much smaller scale. So yeah, that would be first mm. ever uh, <laughs> to answer your question. Um, as a more bold ambition.
0: Yeah, no, but really, really good, good job. Uh, what you do, what you produce as open source, I really appreciate it, and I, I, many, many people also appreciate what you produce. So shout out to you and to the team also. Thank and you. I'm I'm happy that w- that now I have more. Uh, Details about 880s and uh, what you do, what kind of project you work with. And now we're in the second part of the episode, which is more about you. Okay. Are you ready?
2: I'm ready. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, uh, Amanda, what gives you energy and motivates you
2: to do what you do? Um, I think my children really do. Uh, mm. I have three kids.
1: I, you know, they have a lot of energy, uh, and they, I, they give me energy when I, when I'm able to sort of share things that I do and or mm. also just think about the, um, future cities that they're going to live in. That gives me, that gives yeah. me energy.
0: Yeah. And, uh, as a executive director, um, what challenges you face like personally?
2: Um, I think always it's um time
1: management. There's okay. <laughs> only so much time in the day, and I have many, many things that I want to do. Mm-hmm. um I'm a person that really loves my plate full of things <laughs> um so yeah, I think it's it's just really doing the the work of prioritizing yeah. the right focusing efforts on the right thing mm-hmm. um That's my biggest challenge.
0: Time time management. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> I, there needs to be 28 uh, hours in a day. <laughs> 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 to do all the things I want to do.
0: <laughs> yeah. And so um, mention something you did in your career and you're very proud of. And something you did and you regret. Now like, when you're looking back, you regret that you did
2: this. Yeah. I, I'm really proud of um helping create this
1: 880 concept mm. because when i think back i you know before gil and i created it it didn't exist and now there is something that exists yeah. out there that people use uh like even i see folks send me uh pictures of their um in urban planning 101 classes that they're mm. talking about the 880 approach or yeah. 880 principles. Um and that to me is always really great because you know it didn't exist before and now no. it does and it's a bit of a, a a legacy that um will stay this this concept and this thinking. Mm. Um,
0: in in Sweden we are, we are talking a lot about it as well. Oh really? yeah great yeah, right. yeah. see we, lo- we we, we refer a lot it. to it like <laughs> uh do like eight eighties you know about the eight eighties think like eight eighties and so on good job. I
1: love that I love hearing that because yeah. it did it wasn't a thing before no, like no, no, this, no. you no. created we created it yeah and, yeah, yeah, and it's now helping sort of frame conversations uh, mm. uh about the city uh so I'm really proud of that, yeah uh. Things that I regret—I mean, I, there's lots, I'm sure. I mean, I've made many mistakes in my career, uh, but I really try to. To. I don't think I would ever change the mistakes because yeah. I learned a lot yeah. from the mistakes, um, and I talk to my kids a lot about this, so I better better walk the talk because I'm always (laughs) telling them mistakes are the best way Mm -hmm. of learning and you learn more and remember the mistakes more than you remember the successes Mm -hmm. um so yeah I try to take uh, a very you know not so much regrets but mistakes that I've learned from and mostly it comes from I would say the ones that stick with me the most uh, are the ones where I've unintentionally hurt someone, Mm. um, uh, through, you know, actions or words. And so there's a lot more, uh, I think as I've gotten older, really being more intentional with my, my words and with, Uh, um, going back to that, really trying to understand people's motivations and really Mm. try to understand where they're coming from before you jump to your own sort of uh conclusions or assessments um so yeah those are the ones that stick with me i don't like hurting people Mm. um Mm. and uh and yeah yeah. mistakes are always made we are we are of course we are human we have we're human we have biases Yeah. yeah and uh those those things are are good learning moments though i wouldn't change
0: yeah. them i i agree with you like uh, it's fine doing mistakes so far you don't harm people or nature and so on and you should really learn so you don't do it again i mean it's pointless if you just like do the same mistake over and over again but if you really learn so you avoid it doing it and maybe do better so then it's like the perfect way of learning
2: yeah and mm. it stays
1: you don't forget those
0: no no Uh, How is your leadership uh, style? How do you lead the organization?
2: Um, I think.
0: what, What is important for you?
2: Yeah, I think my leadership style is is pretty focused on on outcomes. I would say. Yeah.
1: Uh, and it always I've been someone who's been generally pretty results oriented and outcomes oriented. I will say that I'm learning better how to uh, focus more and appreciate more process of mm. of getting to the result. Um, so that's a big kind of like learning journey yeah. for me. Yeah. Um, but I think my leadership style is pretty collaborative. Uh, it better be. I mean, we talk a lot about collaboration. <laughs> uh, and, you know, if I was like authoritarian, uh, I don't think it would make a lot of sense uh, for me to be espousing all these principles around mm-hmm. collaboration with um yeah. with our city partners. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's very collaborative. Uh, and I think, yeah, ultimately, I think there's also been uh better... I've learned a lot about how to, um, have really clear strategic goals. Mm -hmm. Again, it sounds boring, but like really how do we actually have a clear strategy as an organization and how do we align our project activities and our Mm -hmm. operations and our, um, you know, not just talking about equity and delivering, um, equitable projects but how do we really embody equity as an organization and Mm -hmm. that's um that's been also something i'm i'm proud of and and part of my leadership journey
0: yeah how was your reaction when they told you that you're going to be the executive director because you were a project manager
2: yeah well i started as a
1: project manager um and then i had you know then i was director of Um, strategic planning for a little while and then I had three babies so through three maternity leaves so in Canada we have um, one year for maternity leave so it wasn't consistent 17 years but I've been involved and then even when the kids were very young I was sort of advising but not Mm. um, full-time yeah And so uh, when the opportunity came for me to step in as executive director, my son, my youngest, was still quite young. uh, (laughs) And I wasn't sure if I wanted to do it, but I was like, no, you have to take this opportunity when Um, it comes. Yeah, yeah, So, um, yeah, my son was still like just less than a year old uh, and I jumped into it and I have no regrets about it. Uh cool, absolutely. Cool. It's been such a wild and wonderful yeah, ride.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. And can you tell us about like your daily routine? When do you wake up? What do you do?
1: You know? <laughs> sure. Uh might be a bit scary. <laughs> 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 I wake up early. I wake up at like six, which okay. is like crazy early. But um yeah. today I woke up very early to to do this podcast. So sometimes I do wake Thank up you. even earlier. Um depending on if there are meetings or activities um that I'm doing with partners in different time zones mm. but generally speaking i wake up around 6 i'm getting uh three kids out the door um mm. and along with my partner of course uh and uh they're pretty self sufficient now so they can get out cool. the door on their own good for you <laughs> <laughs> um and then i spend Usually the first, um, I do spend most of my working day, like nine to five, Mm. in a lot of meetings, both virtual uh, and now happy that some of them are returning in person. Mm. And then my second shift often starts after uh, the work day (laughs) uh, where I'm catching up on on emails and Uh, um, following through on some of the work uh, Mm. that I said I would do in the meeting. (laughs) Uh, so it's a long day, but again, yeah. I'm a big girl. I make this choice. I yeah, love yeah. the work. I I do um, get a lot out of it, and I um, I have lots of energy for it because I'm very passionate about it.
0: Mm-hmm. So, like, uh, is there is there any specific moment during the day that you you just like close down the laptop and the phone, and then it's like they say family time, or no? It's like it's there. It's open, and you you're checking. The thing is that you're passionate about what you work with, which is, like, not a big problem for you. You're enjoying it.
2: Yeah. <clears throat> it's not
0: like, I hate this job. I just want to be, like, a five afternoon, so I go out, and that's it.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, yes, there is a time. So, when the kids get home from school, uh, so between, um, I would say, between 4 o'clock and 6 o'clock, uh, I usually have the computer closed down, the laptop yeah. closed down. um and it's dinner we do really try to have dinner together as a family every night um except for the nights where it's some sort of activity my my um my son plays soccer so sometimes that interferes with a family dinner yeah but we do at least at least um every every weekend we have family dinner uh, and at least three days a week we're we're together at the dinner table i grew up like that i love yeah. having that i think it's a really important time for us to connect um mm. and we we make it a time in our day to to talk to each other uh, make yeah. eye contact and <laughs> understand what's going on in
2: in each of our lives
0: yeah and do you have time for your hobbies
2: yeah well you know my hobbies are really reading um riding my bicycle which i love Um uh, nice.
1: It is um, drinking coffee,
2: <laughs> cooking. Yeah. I yeah, love cooking. Yeah,
1: yeah. So yeah, I have time for all those things. I'm not at like, I don't have a long list of hobbies. But um, but yeah, I, I really do love cooking. Um, Saturday and Sunday, I'm in the kitchen a lot with the kids.
0: Amazing. So Amanda, before we go to the last section of this episode, if you choose another profession to work with, than the one you have now working with city development and so on what will you choose
1: yeah it's a uh great question i actually started my um i told you i was interested in um climate activism and i did biology actually in my Mm -hmm. undergrad uh and i was very interested in sort of plant science and um urban forestry uh and then i then I got the bug around cities and sustainability and felt like, oh, I have to, if we're going to have an impact, we really need to focus on city development. Mm -hmm. But I still love that the, um, the subject of biology. I think I would probably be, um, uh, a nature conservation scientist out Mm. doing, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, and then my other sort of, um, potential other job would be a bread maker i love making bread i would like wow. make bread
2: that's amazing <laughs> i
1: love to eat bread i love to bake and bread, make bread. <laughs> that's one other potential job yeah. i would do
0: <laughs> yeah fantastic so uh, now we are in the last uh, section of this episode and three questions the first one is about you giving a
2: message to yourself yes um i think my message to myself is remember to be present Hmm. with the family or with work colleagues or everyone Everyone. just
1: yeah turn turn your (laughs) internal monologue off and be present with the person
2: or thing that you're doing yeah
0: and the next question is about you giving three takeaway messages to our listener.
1: Okay, great. Um, The first one I think is
2: think about, uh, I'll do the 880. Think about an eight-year-old that you love and care about.
1: Uh, Think about an eight-year-old that was in your life. Um, What would you do differently in your city with those two people in mind uh, as they're living in the city or navigating the city or moving? Uh, within your city or community. You know, we work not just in cities, but in small towns and, and communities. So think about the 8080. Yeah. That's my first message.
2: Uh, the second is um, something I've said uh, sort
1: of throughout the interview is really try to understand people and their motivations. Mm. Um, come to uh, any new interaction with a, a desire to understand and not always coming with your own agenda um and then third i would say don't be afraid of conflict i think that's something i've learned Mm. as well i think i grew up um with this idea that conflict is bad it's not um and i think there's really actually my 13 year old daughter taught me the term healthy conflict mom this is healthy uh, conflict <laughs>
0: yeah 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 yeah
1: <laughs> um and it's so true um, yeah and i think it, it really it's very relatable across family mm. and work um you know i often say i will take the angry person coming to a community meeting any mm-hmm. day yeah. because they're showing up and they're showing that they care yeah um so yeah i think you know don't be afraid of conflict is my is my third message
0: amazing and the last question in this episode is going to be you asking it so not me now it's your turn to ask the final question
2: Ooh. um is it to you or to it, it's gonna
0: be to me and to to our listeners Okay. And and I will put it like on the Spotify so people can also like answer if they want.
2: Okay. Um How can we better leverage public space for better cities?
3: Mm. Good question big one also
0: but
2: one uh, i think about a lot yeah Uh, and i'm curious
1: to hear what others think
0: yeah so amanda thank you thank you so much for giving your valuable time thank to record you the podcast also to to wake up early to do this as well so i really <laughs> appreciate it
1: oh i so appreciate the conversation thank you so much for your wonderful
2: questions and uh it's been lovely lovely chatting with you
0: yeah and we keep in
3: touch
2: good